We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, TMI, I. Too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on Geico.com you can save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com. They're the leader in daily fantasy sports. 
can use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit on DraftKings, and you'll get a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, October 5th, 2015, week four of the NFL season. Nearly wrapped up. We have one more game on Monday night. Just two teams on buys, so 15 games total this week. Obviously a lot to talk about, a pretty busy NFL Sunday. I'm Nick Whalen here, as I always am, on Mondays with Rotowire's Derek Van Riper. Uh, Derek, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I had a, a red zone hookup for week four. I, I went Ooh. to a birthday party, got an invite to a birthday party about a, about a week ago. A good friend of mine, uh, it was a surprise party for his wife, and he said, we're going to cater in Chipotle, red zone channel will be running, there will be lawn games in the backyard, and it's also my wife's birthday. So, you know, if you if any of those things are of interest to you, come over. And I'm like, well, you had me at, at Chipotle. You kind of locked it in at Red Zone. And I also i am friends with both of you. So, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be there. So it was a great, great party. I've, for a daytime party on a Sunday, if, if basically Red Zone is a necessity at this point. If you don't have Red Zone available, people will not show up to your house on Sunday. No, that's very true. And, and I don't have... Uh, DirecTV at my apartment, so I had to to go the the route of streaming the Red Zone Network. That even still works, you know. Even though it's not the greatest quality always, it still beats watching. I think Raiders Bears was the oh, national game no. that I was stuck with. I, well, I was at, I was back home in Green Bay this weekend for my cousin's wedding, um, and my my dad is not really big into sports, and I claimed that he hadn't watched TV in months, which is probably true. And like half the channels just didn't work on his TV. Like we have he has cable, but. Like CBS didn't work for whatever reason, so I was literally stuck. In. I was literally stuck watching Oakland and Chicago. I had no other choice at that point. Um, what is your dad doing with all his free time if he's not watching TV? <laughs> My dad is like the opposite of me. I don't know. He he spends a lot of time like disassembling and reassembling cars, landscaping, building things out of wood. Huh. He last time I was home, he had like seven cars for some reason. None of them are nice. I'm not trying to say my dad like owns a bunch of cars. He, was, he owned like seven mediocre cars. Like I live, he lives in a suburb, and there's like cars parked on the lawn. Nice. Uh, yeah. So just a lot of stuff like that. And doesn't have a lot of time to to keep up on the NFL. But yeah, needless to say, I was disappointed to watch the the Cutler versus Car Bowl. Um, wasn't happy with the result of that one. We'll, we'll get into that later. Obviously, was very dissatisfied with how the the Hasselbeck Bowl turned out in Indianapolis. But we'll also get to that. Just a reminder before we get into breaking down all the week four games, the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, as well as all of our other podcasts, are available on iTunes. They're available on Stitcher. You can download, you can stream from both of those. You can also download and stream from the Rotowire website. If you just go to rotowire.com slash podcast, you can download the MP3 files directly from there, and then you can listen to them on whatever device you want. Um, and also, we also appreciate it if you would take some time and leave us a review, especially on iTunes. That helps us uh, stay relevant there. All right, Derek, let's get into the games. We'll start with the early game, uh, at least local time for us, was Jets-Dolphins from London. Uh, it sounds like this is going to be Joe Philbin's last game at the helm of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, as we record here on Monday morning around 11 a.m. Central, there are reports coming in that the Dolphins are – oh, and here we go. <laughs> right as I say this, breaking news, Joe Philbin has been fired by the Dolphins. Uh, I don't think this comes as much as a surprise, right? No, you could tell uh, just based on the reports that their owner, Stephen Ross, was going to decide on Philbin's fate Monday morning. This report came out during the Sunday night game. Uh, things probably weren't going to be going in, in Joe Philbin's favor. Dolphins 1-3 and three after a slow start. And Dominican Sue uh, says he's not an emotional guy, even though he you know steps on people and does weird things that I think only emotional people could do on the field. Uh, he had a really odd post-game interview. It just makes you wonder... 
where Fieldman was in terms of controlling the locker room. This is a talented roster and one that has just not been able to get anything in terms of quality results. The only win coming in week one against Washington. Uh, and a large, big part of that was Jarvis Landry running back a punt, I think, in the fourth quarter of that game. But looking at the numbers here from this game, this was typical, ugly NFL in London play. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was 19 of 44 for 198 yards. How about 4.5 yards per attempt? Had a couple TDs, but was picked off twice. He was sacked three times. Jarvis Landry led the team in rushing. He had two carries for 29 yards. Lamar Miller ran it seven times for 26 yards. One of the worst fantasy investments I think I've ever made. Lamar Miller in this year's Stopa Law Firm League. Kenny Stills gets the TD. Uh, five for 81 on a score. Jake Stoneburner gets the other one. So Jarvis Landry owners come away disappointed. Jordan Cameron owners aren't happy. Richard Matthews owners get completely burned in leagues where he was available and commanded a lot of fab. You get nothing. You get one catch for 16 yards on three targets. I don't know how, how much you can really save this season at this point. Maybe maybe you can find a way to pull him out of the tailspin. Uh, but Anybody who was high on this Dolphins offense going into the season, it, it made sense based on the, the number of weapons they have. They just haven't been able to figure it out thus far. And a huge part of that for me is just how little they've given the ball to Lamar Miller. This is a guy that's averaged close to five yards per carry during his time in the NFL, and you're finding seven, eight, nine, ten carries per week for him in the early going. Yeah, this Dolphins team hasn't ran the ball poorly on a per carry basis. Like you said, Lamar Miller's had success when he gets the ball, but just 14 combined carries the last two weeks. Miami's you know, going into this Monday night game with Detroit and Seattle. So, you know, the statistics aren't final at this point, but they've run the ball the second fewest times in the league as far as attempts. I think Detroit is fewest right now, so they might end up surpassing them after Monday night. Just 65 rush attempts through four games. So leaning very heavily on a pass game that really hasn't been very efficient. I mean, we saw Ryan Tannehill complete just 19 of 44 passes on Sunday. Just a lot of sloppy play. Two more picks for him. He was sacked three times. And and he was the guy, he was getting talk uh, as a candidate for the Rotowire magazine cover. I believe he was a finalist, and I think we made the right call not going with him. He just looks like he kind of, I don't know if he's necessarily taken a step back, but he certainly hasn't taken a step forward this year in what was supposed to kind of be the difference-making year for him. Um, it's just hard to argue with this decision, I guess, to fire Joe Philbin. He hasn't been terrible. I mean, you look at his record since he took over in, in 2012, he's 24 and 28. So, you know, not ideal, but obviously not the difference maker they were looking for because that's kind of the, the Miami Dolphins team that we've seen for the better part of the last decade, really, has been, you know, six, seven, eight, and maybe nine wins, and Philbin just wasn't the guy to really get him over that hump. Yeah, just maybe a guy that made a better coordinator than head coach. Even that, though, it's like if you're the offensive coordinator in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, who's really doing the work there? I think that's right. a fair question to ask at this point. On the Jets' side of this one, Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't have to throw it much, 16 of 29 for 218, had a touchdown and a pick. The Dolphins couldn't even get a sack on him. I mean, that's pretty amazing because I thought this Dolphins' defense would be a strength, even if the offense struggled. I thought that's where Miami would have consistent week-to-week -week value. Chris Ivory ran roughshod all over him, 29 carries, 166 yards, Got into the end zone early in this one. Brandon Marshall had a 58-yard reception. I think it was on the Jets' first play from scrimmage. He finished with 7 for 128. Eric Decker returned 4 for 46 and a touchdown. So a very like typical Jets offensive performance uh, given the way they're built right now. They're not 3-1, and one, Nick. I mean, they look like legitimate threats potentially to make a wild-card spot at least in the AFC. Yeah, this looks like a really good team at this point. And you kind of like what they have going forward. I mean, they host... Or they, they go into the bye next week. So so both New York and Miami get a bye following this long trip to London. And I think obviously that kind of played into the Dolphins' decision to part with Philbin now. You know, you have that extra week to to find a candidate, to integrate that candidate. 
um, and get everything sorted out. But yeah, I mean, returning to the Jets, you know, they get a week off and they host Washington. You, you kind of like their odds in that one. They go to New England, which will obviously be a tough game. But then it's at Oakland, home against Jacksonville. So three out of their next four, you know, you really like their chances in that. So I think this is a team that you know, maybe kind of surprisingly could be in the playoff picture when we get to week eight, week nine, if they only have two or three losses. My question is, when Geno Smith is healthy, is, does he have any chance at, at taking this job back, or is it Ryan Fitzpatrick's job to lose? No, I think it's Fitzpatrick's job to lose. I mean, with that schedule coming up, assuming they only lose to the Patriots in that stretch, I mean, on the road against the Patriots is tough. The Jets are probably good enough to maybe win a game at home against New England. I just don't see them yeah. doing that. I mean, I don't think they'd be favored Foxborough. in that game, but it could certainly happen. They, yeah, they, they have enough talent to do it. Defense is good enough. Let's just say they're 6-2, and two, you know, four games from now. There's no reason to shake things up at quarterback. I don't think you look at Geno Smith and say, well, even though the ceiling's higher, the floor is at the same level as Fitzpatrick. We can do this without risking something. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick has to play pretty poorly to cough up the job at this point. I mean, Brandon Marshall looks like he's really established himself again as kind of a fringy, like, top 10 receiver, at least in full-point PPR leagues. That Eric Decker was healthy enough to get back and play in this one is an encouraging sign. Really like that he got in the end zone, too. It kind of saved it would have been otherwise mediocre sort of day. But uh, the Jets are one of those teams that through four weeks, their stock is definitely up. I think they, they're definitely trending in the right direction under Todd Bowles. Yeah, Chris Ivory, you mentioned, kind of been the underrated MVP for this team, I think, through four games. The only player in the NFL averaging over 100 yards per game on the ground. Um, I mean, just really kind of doing what he did last year in a lot of ways, but was underrated in a lot of drafts. I mean, he was a guy that is kind of a low-end RB1. And, I mean, thus far, other than guys like Devontae Freeman, who have kind of exploded over the last couple of weeks, I mean, Chris Ivory's been a top five, top ten running back on the season. Yeah, he's been elite, really, when, when he's been healthy enough to go. I think health has been a problem for him throughout his career, even going back to his time with the Saints. So I think that's the area of concern as you move ahead. But it, it seems like a guy that's really done a lot to uh, push up his value here through the first four weeks of the season. Interesting stat that just scrolled by here from Field Yates of ESPN. The Patriots hired Bill Belichick back in 2000. The other three AFC East teams have had a total of 21 head coaches during that time since the Patriots hired Belichick. I mean, that's that's, enough, that's a remarkable stat. That's kind of like the you know, when, when Favre was the Packers quarterback and every time they play the Bears, they'd list off all the Bears starting quarterbacks since Favre took over. And it was always like 15, 16 as Favre's uh, time in Green Bay came to an end. It's in that same category of just amazing contrast where you have continuity and just fran- like the historic levels of success with one organization and three other teams that have just struggled to keep up. Right, yeah, and it does kind of mirror the, the NFC North in many ways. Um, anything else from this game? No, I, I, I just I'm glad at least teams get a buy coming off the London game, but it's one of those things where I, I, have, I have mixed feelings about the quadruple header. Like I, I like the concept of it, but being in the central time zone that it starts at 8:30 in the morning, it's pretty early here. It's obviously worse if you're mountain or, or west coast. I mean, if you're west coast and you're up watching games at 6:30 in the morning, especially if it's Jets Dolphins, like credit to you for being more passionate about the game than I am, but. I, I wish there was a better way. I, I still think a doubleheader on Mondays would be better. Like if they played the other London game earlier on Monday or something like that, like maybe that'd be a better way to go about it than having the early morning Sunday games. Right, yeah, and especially with this matchup, which really isn't attractive to a lot of people on the West Coast and really a lot of people probably on the East Coast as well. Um, and it, it seems like these games every year are just messier than your normal NFL games, and, and maybe that's just a product of the Dolphins and the Jets playing, but you know, teams just seem... A little bit, maybe not underprepared, but you know it's, your schedule's all messed up. Your sleep schedule is is backed up, and and obviously it's a very long trip. So 
I don't know how I necessarily feel about the need to to host these NFL games overseas. I think it's a big trip. Like you said, the, the bye week afterwards is nice, and that and that kind of that kind of compensates for it. But it's a long distance to go for a a very meaningful game. You know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we, we see we see other leagues do this. You know, to open the season, I think the MLB played some games in like Australia uh, this year or last year. The NBA will play preseason games all over. They'll do tours, but it's very rare to see like a mid-season, very meaningful regular season game take place. You know, a thousand miles away. It probably is more fair though to have two teams in the same division go play it than it is to have a team from from two different divisions go play because then you're, you're kind of putting that extra burden on one team there's a competitive disadvantage right. there i mean like the entire division should have to do it like at, at some point well the this Bills is a home Patriots game for miami too so miami's losing a home game right so that like and i'm sure they're they're compensated in some way by the league for that but i would i would think like the like in a fair in a perfectly fair schedule the bills and patriots would also have to go play a game overseas somewhere and have some kind of inconvenience to them as part of that division race, just to balance that out mm-hmm. as much as possible. I don't think the schedule's quite built that perfectly. But again, I'm offering my services to the NFL uh, should they be necessary. All right, Giants 24, Bills 10. Giants are 2-2 two and two now. The Bills are 2-2. Two and two. Um, Both teams, I think, we're still trying to figure out what they're about. I mean, Buffalo has two impressive wins. They have a loss to, to New England. when they, they still look pretty good in that game. I don't know if you necessarily qualify this a good loss for the Bills, um, but this Giants team probably isn't as bad as the one that we saw the first couple weeks, and now they've, they've rebounded for two straight wins. Eli Manning, 20 of 35, 212 yards, three touchdowns and a pick for him. Another pretty strong game from Tyrod Taylor, just one touchdown and a pick, but 28 of 42, 274 yards. No LaShawn McCoy for the Bills. Carlos Williams starts. He gains 40 yards on just 18 carries. And a, a running back by committee, I guess, for, for the Giants, which we've pretty much seen through these first four weeks, Rashad Jennings, Andre Williams, and Shane Vereen combining for 94 yards. Is that a running back situation that you're touching really at all in daily or season long? I've been avoiding it. I thought about cutting Rashad Jennings even in one of my season-long leagues, the 10-teamer for my home league, just because he hasn't caught that many passes this year. Vereen seems to get that role more often than not, but Vereen didn't have any receptions in this game. Jennings actually scored on a 51-yard TD catch, uh, just kind of a strange backfield to navigate from week to week. So I'm kind of steering away where possible. I'll try to shop Jennings around, just get a depth piece at a different position this week coming off this big performance. The thing that really bothered me the most about this game, though, I had Tyrod Taylor going, I had Carlos Williams going, and I had Charles Kelly going in my uh, Millionaire Maker lineup on DraftKings. So watching this game on Red Zone, and I see a 50-yard or something close to it, long TD pass from Taylor to Clay, and in the most Bills fashion possible, there's a flag, and it's called back because of a chop block by Richie Incognito. Like, a dirty player making a dirty like play. That doesn't seem like something he would do. Yeah, he would, ne- like, he would never do something like that, right? I mean, like, okay, so this guy's a jerk. I don't like him. I don't have to deal with him, whatever. It's fine. Now it's impacting me. Now it's hurting my bottom line. Like, that was a huge play. I mean, a 50-yard TD pass, I think, gives Taylor the 300-yard bonus. It gives Clay like 161 yards and a, and a TD instead of 111 on nine catches. I mean, that, that's probably whatever I end up getting. If I end up cashing this week, I probably cash twice as much if that play isn't called back because Richie Incognito has to be a dirty player and try to chop block somebody. Maybe it's time that 
these daily sites add a, a position for a guy like Richie Incognito, like a, like a wild card position where you can get points based on penalties. You know, a, a chop block like that that negates a touchdown would be like a 10-point bonus. Like an A-hole flex spot? Right, exactly. And yeah, like Richie that's, Incognito that's is like max salary every single week, $10,000. He would. He, he would cost more than Julio Jones if such a spot existed because it's like, come on, man. Like, what? He didn't even – if you're going to chop block somebody, which I would never obviously advocate – wouldn't you actually want to hit the guy in the knees? Like he didn't even—he missed. He like he missed the chop block and still right. got penalized for it. Right, exactly. And I, that, I think that's a pretty Richie Incognito move uh, at this point. I don't think anybody's fool. surprised by this. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a, that's a tough way to go down in daily. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't like bump me out of the money. We'll see what happens tonight with the the Lions and the Seahawks. But Carlos Williams, I mean, he was heavily owned this week. The 18 for 40 is disappointing, but he did score uh, three for 30 through the air with the TD there. So that salvage would have been otherwise a really disappointing performance. The price was I think below 3500 on DraftKings this week, so that explains the high ownership. Tyrod Taylor, I mean, made a couple of mistakes, got sacked twice, got picked off once, but overall, I thought played pretty well in this game. Uh, it just seems like the Bills have really found their answer at quarterback. I think the concern here was no Sammy Watkins. I know he hasn't been that active over the first few weeks, but if you have Watkins on the field, it opens things up for a guy like Percy Harvin. Harvin was targeted eight times in this game, only caught three balls for 26 yards. So yet again, Percy Harvin owners come away disappointed. Yeah, yeah, and it, it seems like Tyrod Taylor's maybe not checking down too much, but he certainly been he hasn't been targeting his big weapons quite as much, I think, as people expected. Sammy Watkins didn't play in this one, um, so obviously that explains his absence. But even when he has been on the field, I think he's under 100 yards on the year. He's been a little bit hampered by the leg injury, but, but week one came out completely healthy, wasn't targeted at all. Um, I'm not so much worried about Percy Harvin, you know, just because I don't trust him from a fantasy perspective. I think he's he's just kind of a an extra piece, I guess, for this team and for any team. He's, he's not a guy you can depend on for consistent production at the position. He's a guy you, you can use as a deep threat, a guy they want to get going on jet sweeps, plays like that. Um, but, I mean, he's not a guy that I really worry about racking up big target numbers because it just it really hasn't happened uh, to, to this extent. And you see, you know, only 26 yards on three catches in this game. Uh, but, you know, Tyrod Taylor did a good job of spreading the ball around. Uh, Charles Clay, like you said, nine catches for 111 yards. Um, you get seven, eight receivers involved. Former Minnesota quarterback turned fullback slash tight end Marquise Gray even getting in on the action uh, with one reception there. So yeah, this Buffalo Bills offense, I think, looks a little better than we expected. Obviously, only 10 points is a bit of a disappointment here. But, I mean, Tyrod Taylor has surpassed my expectations by far through four weeks yeah he really has on the other side of this game Odell Beckham being held to just five catches for 38 yards on 12 targets good work by the Bills defense really keeping him quiet because I mean I, I don't worry about guys like Reuben Randall that much I know Randall scored in this game uh, a lot of people used him coming off that big game in week three against Washington three for 31 on the score really isn't much on six targets Larry Donnell didn't do much Buffalo's defense I think is legit but it's kind of surprising to me that the Giants held them to just 10 points yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this was maybe one of the more surprising results of the day, but maybe this Giants team is better than than we thought they were. All right, now a game that I just have so many feelings about, but I'll, I'll try to limit this to just a couple minutes because you know most people probably don't really care about this. Colts 16, Jaguars 13. The Jaguars had multiple opportunities to win this one. Um, just you can't lose to, to Matt Hasselbeck. Um I don't really know what to say. TJ Yeldon had a nice game. His best game as a pro, 22 carries, 105 yards. Blake Bortles was adequate, 28 for 50, 
298 yards and a touchdown. He didn't turn it over. Allen Hearns, 11 catches, 116 yards and a score. Allen Robinson, four catches for 80 yards. Mercedes Lewis finally got on the board, his first catches of the season. He had five for 40 yards, but it came down to missed field goals. Jason Myers missed one towards the end of regulation that would have won the game, um, ended up missing one in overtime. The Jags' final eight possessions were an absolute atrocity. Five straight punts, then the missed field goal, then they get the ball first in overtime, punt, they stop the Colts, get the ball back, miss another field goal, um, and at that point the Colts took over close to their own territory, it was close to midfield, uh, marked right down the field, and, and kicked a game-winning field goal of their own. So a very heartbreaking way to lose. You never want to lose to 40-year-old Matt Hasselbeck. I think that goes without saying. Um, I don't know. I, I, there was a lot of calls for Gus Bradley's head after this game from Jags Nation. Jags. Um, Duval, on, on Duval's yeah, angry. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of angry Jags fans out there. Um, I guess I'm not 100% sure that's the right solution right now. And midseason coaching changes, especially on bad teams, never really seem, uh, you know, you know, to to do the trick. But this is bad. I mean, you this is worse than New, than the New England loss to me in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, obviously, they were blown out by you know, close to 40 against New England, but. I mean, New England's a much better team. I think the, the the disparity in talent was there. The disparity in talent isn't here. This is a team that just gave up 33 points to the Tennessee Titans last week, and you know, putting up one touchdown with innumerable punts uh, was disheartening to say the least. Oh, it's got to be the thing that would bother me the most as a Jags fan is the sequence on the opening drive in overtime. I mean, T.J. Yeldon rips off a long run. Okay, gets a 36-yard run, puts the Jags at the Colts 44 on the second play of overtime. You're in business. Things are looking really good. Really good. You got a first and 10 at the Colts 44. So you got to get 10 more yards to be in range of a long field goal. One one first down puts you in range for Jason Myers to have a shot at it. Here's what here's what they did. They ran Toby Gerhardt up the middle on the next play. Now you get three timeouts in overtime. And if you're at midfield already or past midfield, how do you not decide to just use a timeout there? Because in that moment, you have to be thinking, okay, we have to we have to do what we can do to score a TD and just end the game right now. And if we don't get the ball back, I mean, we, we could still lose if we get a field goal. We might as well just use these timeouts now. Otherwise, we're going to be completely... You're not going to use all three of them. Just use one instead of running Gerhardt. They run Gerhardt. They lose two. So they have second and 12. Second and long is a pretty obvious passing situation. They miss the uh, pass to Allen Robinson on that play. Third and 12, another obvious passing situation. Uh, they try to target Ellen Robinson, miss him again. Fourth and 12, punt. Like, that's that's a terrible sequence, all caused by one decision to not call a timeout and simply run T.J. Yeldon instead of Toby Gerhardt from the Colts 44 on first and 10. Right, and the play calling has been a major, major issue for this team. Putting themselves in situations where they need, you know, third and 12, like you just mentioned, like you need to, you need to pick up that first down and it's an obvious passing down. And that's where they struggle when the defense knows what's coming. Um, and you're asking Blake Bortles to be extremely accurate on a play when he just hasn't really shown that he can do that. So yeah, I, well, the thing was, this game was finishing up right around the same time as the Chicago Oakland game. And I had quite a bit riding, not, not monetarily, but you know, to pick them league um, confidence points wise, I had quite a bit riding on Oakland beating Chicago. So like simultaneously, I had also I had also quite a bit on on Jacksonville beating Indianapolis. You know, I was thrilled to see Luck was out of that game and adjusted my pick. And you know, I was one of the only people in the league to pick Jacksonville because most people, you know, were putting 15 confidence points on Indianapolis, rightfully so. But I don't think they checked back, seeing that Luck was out in the morning. 
And so I was in prime position to to take control of the week. And within about a two-minute span, the Bears drove the length of the field, kicked a game-winning field goal, and the Jaguars missed their second uh, would-be game-winning field goal. So I was actually driving back from Green Bay at the time and very nearly drove my car off the road out of, out of resentment. I was wearing a Byron Leftwich jersey, had to walk into a gas station, which in I don't know if you're familiar, in Wisconsin, everybody just wears Packers Every, yeah, everywhere. Everything. Everyone. So I think I was in Lamira, Wisconsin at the time, somewhat on the way back Lamira, from Madison. I don't even know where that is. I didn't know it was a place either. But yeah, the, everybody in the gas station, all the attendants are decked out in Packers gear and there's decorations everywhere and in walks a kid with a, a Byron Leftwich jersey and Believe it or not, that drew the ire of a, of a couple people in there. I thought about this at, at, at church Sunday morning before the games. I walk in, there's a guy with the headset on, help, helping people like find their seats. Headset? Yeah, I mean, there's like like a, co- like a coaching headset. Yeah, it is. It, it's actually just like that. It's, it's a big enough like a church coordinator up in the booth. <laughs> they, they've got like an eye in the sky going, and they've got the guy on the ground trying to help you find empty seats because it's a pretty big thing. There's music going on. It's a little bit dark. So what kind he, of music? Uh, you know, just like typical like Christian rockish music, I guess. I don't know, like whatever new churches, whatever genre that is, just with praise songs, not like old school hymns. <laughs> banger after banger. There, there's like there's like electric guitars and what? keyboards and drums. It's, it's you know it's it's, it's new age. Sounds but part, pretty progressive. People are wearing Joe Thomas jerseys at the service. I Browns mean, like, jerseys or, or Badgers jerseys? White Browns Joe Thomas jersey. How about that? What for an amazing pull for a Sunday morning. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, like a lot of people get up, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to throw on a nice collared shirt for church. Joe Thomas jersey. Well, you actually sent me a photo of wherever that party that you mentioned at the top. You were in the presence of someone wearing a white Jimmy Smith Jaguars jersey? Yes, and it you could tell from the photograph that it, had, it has received the appropriate amount of wear. Like The numbers are starting to fade a bit. I mean, that jersey's got to be, what, 15 years old, give or take? It was, it was yeah. a local athletic brand Ooh. jersey, which is like... That's going way back to the beginning of when jerseys became readily available everywhere. That was back in the day. I think I had a, a Jim Everett Saints jersey growing up as a kid. How, how bizarre is that? Who is Jim that Everett? Jersey? I think I'm, I'm dating myself on this, but is, what, who is Jim Everett? Well, I think your best Jim Everett, uh, but your best path to Jim Everett would be to just Google Jim Everett, Jim Rome. And then just watch oh, that that's, sequence. That's him. That's like, Jim Everett. Is that what he, like the name pronunciation? That's when issue? well, that's when Rome was calling him Chris, right? Right. And Chrissy, I think even at one yeah. point, and Jim Everett didn't like that. As I mean, like that's a reasonable, it's a reasonable thing to get upset about. So that that like, he's probably more famous for that than for his play on the field. The Rams quarterback, Saints quarterback for a while. I think I just wanted a Saints jersey at the time because nobody had one. Uh, but, yeah, Jimmy Smith jersey spotted yesterday at the same party with the Chipotle, with the Red Zone channel. Probably one of the best parties I've ever been to, which is uh, – I-, I figured the best parties I ever went to all happened like 10 years ago, but I was shocked. Yesterday was one of those it's days. It's amazing what Chipotle can do for a party, honestly. I mean, you could, you could be w- watching anything. I mean, the Red Zone network is obviously a big bonus here, but I think the Chipotle is what really seals it in this situation. Well, when you, when you, get, when you get Chipotle catered in – they give you a ton of food. They give you like these massive aluminum trays of three different meats. You get big containers of all the salsas. I, I was I was blown away. Tr- tremendous food spread. I want Chipotle to sponsor this podcast. So if any of the Chipotle people are out there listening, I legitimately love your food. I think Nick loves Chipotle also. Fair yes, to say. Confirmed. So we would we would love to be brand ambassadors for your burritos because they, they are delicious. They pay us in food or, or money. I mean, I really don't care. Yeah, like Chipotle gift cards would be fine. 
Or just, or they could just like bring some drones with burritos every day and, you know, just drop them right off. Like, I don't even care if it comes in bulk, you know, if they just ship like a hundred burritos right now and we have to freeze them. Like we just got, we just got that new fridge in the office. We got the new microwave going now too, after that disaster last week. Um, Oh man, good thing we got the new microwave. I know a lot of listeners out there were worried about uh, the microwave status (laughs) coming out of last week, but it has since uh, been replaced. The, the rental company from which we rent the office had to bring in their, like, team of, I think, like, four or five guys came in to inv- investigate the fire situation on, like, Monday or Tuesday. I don't know if you were in the office at that point, but the carpet is scorched. Uh, it still smells like it's, fire back yeah, there. Yeah, it, it smells it smells like burnt carpet. Still. It smells like burned microwave. It's just it's just lingering in the air. Yeah. It reeks back there. I mean, yep. man, it, it's uh, – bottom line, two things. One, Chipotle is amazing. Two – the Jags, man, they're just sad. Like I, I feel awful for you because they had so many chances to win this game. They should have come away with the victory, but the the Toby Gerhardt carry inside Colts territory in overtime, most egregious mistake of all. How about Panthers thirty seven, Bucks twenty three? I'm really loving Jameis Winston being bad. Like that, that's like just one of the things that brings me the most joy on a week to week basis on Sundays. Jameis is not a bad guy. Come on. No, you really no, like no. you relish like seeing a rookie just struggle like this on what should be a pretty decent team. I relish seeing Jameis struggle. Just I, Jameis. I mean, I can I can certainly see why he has his detractors. Um, <laughs> there, there's no doubt. I'm, I, I shouldn't say he's a good guy, no. but I also don't think he's. I don't think he's like a bad guy in the way that like Richie Incognito is a bad guy. Well, it, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's I it, think James is like R- a, Richie Incognito has a lot of other documented incidents right. that include, uh, yeah, but it, it's pretty bad. Richie Incognito's rap sheet is ugly at this point. It is. But James, I don't know, man. That, that's pretty bad. Even if it, even if it's just one bad incident and a couple like you know the, the crap. Yeah, I guess it, it depends like where that. you fall on the the real bad incident, you know. And obviously, there's. There's the alleged assault, of, yeah, right. Like well, that, there, there, there's that. That, that to me, but like, it's the alleged part of it. Yeah, that, that's that, the details with that are still very, right. like, very sketchy. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on with yep. local police and all that in terms of like Tallahassee and protecting players, and it's just it's a disaster. And right. maybe I'm a bad person for not giving him the benefit of the doubt because he was never proven guilty in a court of law. But I've just decided that given the way Florida State handled him, given uh, other minor incidents that were tiny in comparison to the charges that were kind of thrown out there against him i i just i'm never gonna root for this guy just can't do it and i'm happy to see him fail in the nfl that's fair enough i, mean, I do i do appreciate that he you know despite all of the distractions at least attempts to to kind of wash himself of that he tries in the nfl and i mean he's not he doesn't carry the same you know menzel type of issues yeah I, obviously menzel was never faced with that kind of you know those kind of serious allegations as far as you know assault and you know whatever else was alleged in that case but he comes to the nfl and is basically just continues what he was doing at a&m you know he's out of shape he doesn't know the playbook he's hey, partying parties, yeah at least like Jameis is trying to you know become the professional that he's expected to be and i think when you when you're accused of such a serious thing it's hard to shake that and you know whether or not he was, he's proven guilty or isn't I, I don't know if that necessarily even matters i think the damage has kind of been done to his reputation at this point um but i don't know i don't i don't i don't think that makes me necessarily want to root against him you don't have to love him as a person but i don't want to see him throw four picks every week that's painful to watch uh, i'm not gonna watch the bucks much anyway they're gonna be a red zone team only but uh, mike evans is awesome it's kind of disappointing that mike evans has his value kind of falling through the floor right now three catches for 32 yards in this one i mean james threw it 43 times and mike evans caught three balls like that's 
troubling. I thought he was a top 10 receiver this year, a guy that had elite upside. I don't have shares of him anywhere, so I lucked out. It wasn't because I was trying to avoid him. I wasn't even that worried about the hamstring injury. This is turning out to be worse than pretty much anyone expected for Mike Evans. Right, and it's James Winston's fault, correct? I mean, I, I, I don't think Mike Evans has necessarily regressed. I mean, he had eight targets in this game, 17 targets last week. And I don't, I don't know if the expectation is going to be double-digit targets every single week, but when you have a guy that's that size and can run like he can, I don't think there's any problem with you know 15-plus targets. So, I mean, Jameis was inaccurate. I mean, four picks, I think, goes without saying. But that's kind of what you have to look at when you're – when you see it, when you evaluate a guy like Mike Evans or even Vincent Jackson, who had a nice game in this one, is sometimes the the lack of talent or lack of experience at the quarterback position can kind of negate what kind of talent you have at the receiver spot. Yeah, I mean Vincent Jackson goes off maybe on some benches for at least shallow leagues out there with the ten catches for 147 yards and a TD. Good news for the Bucks; they got Doug Martin going again over five yards per carry at 106 yards on 20 attempts, caught five balls for 37 yards as well so it it seems like a lot of things are are starting to trend in the right direction for the offense as a whole but it's just surprising to me that uh, Jameis and Mike Evans haven't been able to get really on the same page outside of that 17 target game last week that pushed Evans over 100 yards maybe the hamstring is still something of an issue there it's it's always hard to tell uh, but maybe the Carolina defense is still decent too I mean Josh Norman had a couple picks in this one one of them was a pick six he's got four picks on the year through four games I mean, what do you think of this Panthers team right now? They're undefeated. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, we'll, we'll talk about Atlanta in a little bit, but two 4-0 teams now in the NFC South and what was the division? I think that was won by a 9-7 and team last year, and that was ugly. Carolina. They, ugly last yeah, year. Yeah, and it's it's going to be ugly again. I mean, if, if you look at the stats on this game, uh, Tampa Bay turned it over five times, so four Winston interceptions and a fumble, but they almost doubled up Carolina in total yards, 411 to 244. They won the time of possession battle. 25 first downs to 17 for Carolina. I mean, everything points to without the turnovers, Tampa Bay probably wins this game. But this Carolina defense, I think, is for real. Like you said, Josh Norman, two picks, a pick six. He has four interceptions and two pick sixes already through the first four weeks of the year. And, you know, scoring 37 points for an offense that only completed 11 passes, obviously, is very impressive. So, you know, if it comes down to it right now, obviously, these teams have kind of looked different, Carolina and Atlanta. The defense has kind of carried... Uh, the, the Panthers, whereas the the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman show has been what's carried Atlanta to this 4-0 start. But which team do you think is off to a better starter? Which team do you think is better at this point? I mean, you look at the Panthers so far. They played at Jacksonville in Week 1, home against Houston, home against the Saints without Drew Brees, and then on the road against the Bucks yesterday. It's been a pretty favorable schedule to this point because, I mean, New Orleans, outside of New Orleans and even at home recently, have not been the same team we expected um, we look at the Texans as a team that are a huge disappointment this year, much like the Dolphins. I thought the Texans would be a lot better. So I think strength of schedule is a pretty big factor, at least as far as Carolina's early season success. We're going to learn a little more about this team over the next four weeks. They go on the road to Seattle. Uh, that's going to be after a bye week, it looks like. Uh, Eagles at home, Colts at home, which if luck is healthy, that could be a, a tough spot for them. And then they're home after that against the Packers. So even though their schedule is three home games after they go to Seattle, it's three reasonably difficult home games, especially if the Eagles can continue to figure some things out offensively. I think Atlanta's the better team of the two. I think there's just more balance on both sides of the ball. They've got the best receiver in the game in Julio Jones. Devontae Freeman looks like a potential breakout player at running back. The more I watched him play yesterday, the more I thought, hey, this guy was just maybe underestimated coming out of Florida State in terms of what he could do. 
offensive line play seems to be better for Atlanta this year than it was a season ago. That may have been a big part of why Steven Jackson couldn't get anything going on the ground, why Freeman even last year couldn't really do much. I mean, I think that's one of those factors that can change from year to year that really has a huge trickle-down effect on the entire offense, and it tends to get overlooked when other factors might be in play. It's easier to just look at it and say, Steven Jackson's old, they can't run the ball, but if you have problems at you know, guard and tackle and, and maybe even on both sides of the line, you're not going to run the ball regardless of who's back there. Right, and Atlanta's able to run the ball and throw the ball this year. They've, they've been near the top of the league in both those categories. Their schedule hasn't exactly been tough either. I mean, wins over Philadelphia, the Giants, Dallas, and Houston. So they're basically taking care of the NFC East at this point, and they get Washington next week. So a chance to go 4-0 and against that division. Their schedule doesn't really toughen up to the point that Carolina's does, like we just talked about. I mean, they go Washington, New Orleans, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, a bye, and then Indianapolis, Minnesota, Tampa Bay. So I don't know which of those games are, are they going to be an underdog in any of those games? I mean, just just looking at it on paper at this point, obviously a lot can happen, you know, between now and looking six seven weeks into the future. But I think you got to feel pretty good about almost every single one of those games if you're an Atlanta fan. Yeah, really, the only one you're maybe worried about is the Thursday night short week going on the road to New Orleans. That could be a, a tough yeah. spot, but. Overall, I mean, this this looks like a team that might be positioned to push Green Bay for the number one seed. Well, especially with as NFC. difficult as the Packers' schedule is, yeah. I think I don't know if many people would argue that Atlanta's better than Green Bay. But I mean, just looking at the schedule and looking at how this division is going to shake out, I mean, they could easily, fairly easily, I should say, go twelve and four or even you know thirteen and three if things break correctly here. I think the ceiling for them is like fourteen and two, even just because this schedule lines up so favorably. Here's what I can't figure out either about the NFL schedules. Another, another thing that's bothered me for a long time, they don't play the Panthers until the 13th of December, and then they play them again two weeks later on the 27th. Like, what, what is the point of that? Why, yeah, do you, why are they playing four NFC East teams in the first five weeks of the season? I, I don't understand the, the, the logic behind any of this stuff. It's like, shouldn't you just play, like, between, between weeks one and eight, shouldn't you play the other three teams in your division once then and then play them all again once in the second half of the season just for the sake of balance? And if you want to have matchups in Week 17 between division teams, that makes a lot of sense because then right. division races can be decided. I just I don't understand how you play the same team twice in the span of three weeks. Do you think the NFL looks at kind of projections as far as which teams they believe are going to be in the race towards the end of the season? You know, you look at Carolina as a two-time defending division winner you know Atlanta expected to, to kind of take a step forward as they have this year with a new coach and you know they look ahead and say you know these are the two teams we think will be in it towards the end and you know right now that's kind of how it's looking and they want them to play twice late in the season or you know I, I don't really know the the intricacies of the schedule making it, it could be you know a computer generated matrixy type of thing but I'm not sure there's so many variables that probably tie in that are related to other events that are going to be in the stadiums I mean who right. knows well, that, like, yeah, that's there's so many other too. logistics that probably I I, I overlook I, but if you look at it, you'd expect the Saints to play the Bucks those same two weeks that the Falcons are playing the Panthers, and they're not. The Saints played the Bucks in week two, and they're going to play them again in like week 14 or something like that. It's just, it just makes no sense whatsoever. It really doesn't. All right, Eagles 20, Redskins 23. Um, two teams we still, I feel like, don't know anything about. We do know the Eagles can't run the ball, that's for sure. 87 total yards. DeMarco Murray just eight carries, 36 yards for him. Um, was was pretty. I wouldn't say outspoken necessarily. I don't think he was maybe trying to cause as much of a stir as his post game comments ended up causing. Basically, you know, intimating that he wasn't satisfied with getting only eight carries. He said he thought he was going to be a more integral part of this offense, but he did kind of do some damage control after. And you know, he kind of just the typical player speak. You know, I love the guys, love this offense, love playing for this team, and 
it sounds like the Eagles are clearly down on their luck at this point, but I think they think that the talent is still in place, and you know, on paper it is, to still be competitive in what's ultimately going to be a division that I think could be filled with quite a bit of parity, especially with Tony Romo going down. So even at 1-3 and three through the first four weeks of the season, I don't think there's quite the... There might be, the panic might be too high, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and obviously we expected a lot of things from this offense, but this division isn't – there's not a team in this division that you worry about running away. So I think Philadelphia kind of has the benefit of having a, a few extra weeks at least to still figure this thing out. Sam Bradford played well, 15 of 28, 270 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Riley Cooper, Miles Austin, and Brent Selleck catching the touchdowns there. Down game from Jordan Matthews, just three catches for 50 yards. He'd kind of been the big target guy through the first few weeks. Um, but one thing you look at, we know Chip Kelly likes to play quickly, and, and Philadelphia doesn't waste time on offense, but time of possession in this one, Washington 41 minutes and 8 seconds, the Eagles 18 minutes and 52 seconds. Kind of unusual how this game flowed overall, but I think the big deficit the Eagles were facing at halftime, 13-point deficit, had something to do with the carries being down for Murray. 4.5 yards per carry is pretty nice, although a 30-yard carry making up most of the yards you picked up, eight carries for 36 yards in the day, uh, kind of makes you worry again about the blocking for him. I think that's still going to be a problem. Riley Cooper and Miles Austin and Brent Selleck each taking TDs basically caused Jordan Matthews to have that quiet day. He was targeted eight times. No two pass catchers were targeted a combined eight times. So I think Matthews is still clearly the number one receiver there. If this lowers his value just slightly even in trades, it's a good time to go get them. I'm with you, though. I think the Eagles, because of the weakness of this division as a whole, they still have plenty of time to figure some things out. Just a matter of whether or not they can get the offensive line to gel on a consistent basis. Yeah, this I mean, this Eagles team still has a lot of questions to answer offensively, and the running game is the big issue. Like, Sam Bradford hasn't been good this season, but I mean, considering he only attempted 80, or 28 passes excuse me, and only completed 15 with three touchdowns, they, they were able to move the ball fairly well, be able to rip off big chunks of yardage. But if you just don't have the balance that Chip Kelly teams are used to having on the ground and, you know, just being able to, you know, that's where they were supposed to get their big plays, I guess, you know, through the air um, is almost a bonus. And if you watch any of those Oregon teams, you know, they're running that read option, you know, the zone blocking that they're able to get on the edge. And I don't know, if, is DeMarco Murray not the right fit for what Chip Kelly wants to do? I think we talked about this in, you know, the first one or two podcasts of the year, kind of comparing him to that model that we've seen Chip Kelly use in a running back, you know, the, the Kenyon Barner types, the Michael James types, you know, your 5'9", 5'10", kind of water bug type of running backs, whereas DeMarco Murray is 6'1", 6'2", and a little bit more of a power back, not the type of guy that we would have ever seen carrying the ball at Oregon. Yeah, but still, I, I think this is a guy they went out and got in free agency. Like right. They sought him out, and Chip Kelly obviously has a pretty big hand in the personnel. So I don't think it's a matter of scheme and fit. I really think it's an offensive line problem, whether that's coaching or personnel. I guess that's anyone's guess at this point. Just the fact that he's able to get four and a half yards of pop at the limited carries is a step in the right direction, even though a good bulk of that came on one touch. We're still talking about a player that has 29 carries over the three games he's played, so it's really hard to judge any player on a 29-carry sample. Right, and that, that's absolutely true. So, like I said, I, I mean, at the top of this game, there's plenty of time still for this Eagles team to figure things out. you got 12 more games, but... At the same time, uh, a one in three start and a loss to the Redskins, I don't think is how they pictured the season going. Raiders 20, Bears 22. They get their first win of the season. We talked last week about how we thought Oakland would have a very good chance to move to three and one here, and I, I thought they did. Um, late in this one, the Bears were down by one, and Robbie Gold ended up kicking what was the game winning field goal, but this Raiders defense just could not prevent Jay Cutler from marching 
I wouldn't say the length of the field, you know, obviously because they finished with a field goal, but Bears started deep in their own territory, less than two minutes left, and they were down to a fourth and five, I think, around their own 35-ish, and were able to convert, and from there, the Oakland D really didn't provide much of a stop. Uh, Jay Cutler returned in this one after sitting out last week. We did not see Jimmy Clausen, unfortunately. 28 of 43, 281 yards, did have a pick, but also had two touchdowns. Martellus Bennett, the leading receiver for Chicago with no Elshon Jeffrey, 11 catches, 83 yards, and a score for him. Derek Carr was decent in this one, 20, 20 for 33, 196 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Michael Crabtree had 80 yards on five catches. Amari Cooper had a touchdown, just four catches for 49 yards for him. So not really able to get down the field as much as we've seen Cooper in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, the TD catch was pretty impressive. The throw from Carr was flawless on that one, too. The nine targets, still a team high there, even though Michael Crabtree outproduced him with the five for 80 line on six targets. Amari uh, Cooper, to me, is like a top 15 receiver right now. It's just kind of where he stacks up. The volume's going to be there most weeks. I still don't have a lot of confidence in the Oakland defense. With that, you're going to get probably more than 33 attempts from Derek Carr most weeks. Uh, Latavius Murray had a bad fumble on a toss play in this one. Pretty costly turnover for the Raiders. Uh, 16 carries for 49 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. Pretty big disappointment there, but he's getting such a large share of the workload overall that I think he is a back that overall has increased his value during the early weeks of the season. How about Martellus Bennett continuing the trend of Raiders being unable to stop tight ends? 11 catches, 83 yards on 13 targets, and a score. Eddie Royal hauled in Jay Cutler's other TD pass in this one. Seven catches for 54 yards and a score on 10 targets, and Marquise Wilson had uh, six for 80 on nine targets. So kind of a, a, a clear hierarchy right now with the limited weapons at the disposal of Jay Cutler, but I think against better teams especially, this is an offense that because of the lack of healthy, talented players in the receiving core, is still going to find a way to struggle, at least until Alshon Jeffrey gets back. Right, and I think they really needed this win. That, that goes without saying, just to avoid that 0-4 start, but it still wouldn't surprise me if this team finished with you know four or five wins. I don't think they're quite as bad as some of the the bottom feeders in the league. You know, I think they're a cut above Jacksonville, even Tennessee, um, just with some of the weapons they have offensively when healthy. I mean, Matt Forte is still very, very good. Top five in the league in rushing, 91 rushing yards on 25 carries in this one, four receptions for 64 yards, still kind of doing it all and, and being able to rip off big gains out of the backfield. So there's still a lot to like about this Bears offense from a fantasy perspective. You know, as many mistakes as Jay Cutler makes, he's still able to, to sling the ball around. And like you said, Martellus Bennett had a big week. Alshon Jeffrey, once he's back, I think I still like um, you know, if he's healthy. We, we, we even saw in week one against Green Bay, Jeffrey was quiet for most of the game. But, you know, once the Bears kind of went into desperation mode and started throwing it toward the end, I think he had five or six catches on one possession. So, and that's the kind of guy Jeffrey is, you know, and he's going to be the number one target when he's back. So, you know, not a lot to like from a team win-loss perspective, but I think there's still some fantasy value to be found in that offense. Yeah, I think the defense is still a work in progress under Vic Fangio, too. I mean, they obviously made some trades going into last week, flipping Jared Allen, and I think they traded one of the other linebackers as well. So they're still going to be a little weak on that side of the ball. I'm just a little surprised that the Raiders' offense didn't get a better result from Derek Carr overall. Like you said, he didn't play terribly, but he didn't play all that well. either. 5.9 yards per attempt against the Bears leaves plenty to be desired. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Texans 21, Falcons 48. Atlanta was up 42-0 to zero in this one. So even though they end up winning by 27, this is almost a misleading uh, final score. 
the the Texans went through both of their mediocre quarterback options. Ryan Mallett got the start. He came out firing, finished just 12 of 27, 150 yards and a pick. Brian Hoyer came in midway through the third right after Atlanta, tacked on that sixth touchdown and went up 42-0. to zero. Hoyer was actually okay in this one, 17 of 30, 232 yards, two TDs. Why is Houston slinging the ball around as much as they are? I mean, 57 combined attempts in this one. I think Mallett attempted 58 passes uh, in either week two or week three. Cecil Shorts and DeAndre Hopkins have combined for 95 targets already this season. I mean, what is going on? Well, I, I think necessity, uh, it's third and long, second and long has been a problem because prior to last week when Alfred Blue had that big game, they didn't run it well in weeks one or two. They didn't run it well this week with Arian Foster coming back either, which is a pretty big disappointment because typically when Foster comes off an injury, he's right back to 100% or close to it in terms of his productivity. This game got out of hand pretty early because of that lost fumble that was recovered and run back for a TD. Uh, stretched the Falcons' lead to 21-0 in the first quarter. And I think with that, you knew the Texans were going to become pretty one-dimensional. At least DeAndre Hopkins continues to be quarterback-proof. Texans still don't really know which direction they're going to go at that position with Hoyer taking over for Mallett in this game in the third quarter. It's a situation you don't feel good about in the two-quarterback league because even if one guy starts, you're still worried about a bad half causing him to get a hook. Cecil Shorts had a garbage time TD, but his volume's actually been pretty good. If you're in a really deep full-point PPR league, I think he's one of those players that's getting uh, kind of underrated right now simply because 8 to 10 targets per week can be difficult to come by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know. This Texans team, I think, is a little bit disappointing so far. It's hard to, hard to say to say they're say they're dishing. You know, like we just talked about, there, there's not much to like. But I think a lot of people thought the defense was going to be so good that it would kind of compensate and. That just hasn't been the case. I mean, you've given up 48 points to Atlanta. And, and to be fair, I mean, two of those were on fumble recovery returns. So, you know, it's not all necessarily the defense's fault. And it's tough when your offense is struggling to move the ball to be on the field as much as they are. But it's just been an odd season, I guess. And it proves, once again, something that we've seen year after year in the NFL, that if you don't have a starting quarterback and, you know, they don't have – they have two that they're, they're trying out and neither of them are working out, it's very, very difficult to win consistently. Yeah, it just puts so much strain on that defense. I haven't looked at the time of possession numbers, but I wonder if the Texans are one of those teams that have had their defense just on the field an extremely high amount of time because it, it, it just doesn't make sense they could be this bad on that side of the ball. But how about Devontae Freeman? The 14 carries for 68 yards – Back-to-back three-touchdown games. Uh, this is a good question. You know the answer to it, and I, I don't even have a good guess. First player to have back-to-back three TD games since somebody did it in 2006. Who is that somebody? That somebody, uh, well, I'll have you guess. I mean, it's, I should say it's probably the most obvious answer you could think of. I mean, is it LT? It's LT. Yeah. I think it was weeks 9 and 11, so there was a bye week in week 10. First player in back to, since 2006, like you said, to have back-to-back three-touchdown games. And he got, he got this out of the way early. In this one, and really didn't end up. I don't think he ended up as their leading rusher in this game, did he? Yeah, Teron Ward had uh, seventy-two yards on, four, on on nineteen carries. I mean, just just resting Freeman, no Tevin Coleman, of course, because of that rib injury. Uh, Roddy White's demise continues. Leonard Hankerson six catches for one hundred and three yards in the score. Julio only caught four balls for thirty-eight yards. But given the way the Falcons got up so much early, not surprising at all that they sort of worked him out of the game plan because he's been dealing with a few bumps and bruises throughout this year. So I think that puts him in a good position to be uh, entering week five fully healthy. It's disappointing if you paid up for him on DraftKings or if you had him in season long, but obviously nothing to worry about there. Just the way this game kind of transpired caused Julio Jones to have a very quiet week four. Yeah, I think this is good for Atlanta. I mean, he wasn't on the field as much in the second half as he obviously would have been if this were a close game. So an opportunity to you know, take care of business in the first half and kind of take the second half off and rest that hamstring. So I think it's 
it's a down week, obviously, if you own Julio Jones, but it, I think it'll end up paying dividends in week five and beyond. But you know, we talked about this, this Atlanta team in comparison to Carolina. We said they have a very favorable schedule. They've already kind of taken care of business against the NFC East. I mean, I really, really like this team. And their, their Achilles heel the last couple of years has been defensively. And you know, now with Dan Quinn in there, that seems to have been shored up. We're really yet to see them be tested, I guess, by a by an elite offense, and we might not see that until you know it might be week twelve or thirteen, uh, you know, depending on what you think about Drew Brees and that New Orleans offense. Um, but I, I really like this team a lot. I think you know, like we said, I could see them going thirteen and three. I think they're a playoff caliber team. Obviously, we're, we're it, there's going to be issues when they are tested by a good team, and and like I said, that might not be till later in the year, so we might not know their true identity for a while, but. You know, certainly a, a solid start to the Dan Quinn era. Their greatest fear right now, the Falcons' greatest fear, should be that even if they get the number one seed, having to beat the Packers indoors is not going to be easy. It just it, it right. Will that's be the, well, having to beat difficult. them either at Lambeau Field or indoors. Right. It, you don't really like either option. Yeah. So it that that's the that's the worst thing for the Falcons right now is that they have to deal with either that offense, even uh, even in Atlanta, is going to be able to put up a lot of points. I, may, I think I think they're in a good position because the way things are shaping up, they're not going to have to go away to place like Seattle or something like that, which would really limit their own offensive prowess. But I think Atlanta looks legitimately like a top five team right now. All right, fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week Five. DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event with one point two million dollars going to first place. Go to DraftKings now. You can enter the promo code RotoWire. That's R O T O. W-I-R-E. You can play free with that promo code with your first deposit on DraftKings. That's promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry now. Again, with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's get back into breaking down Sunday's games. We'll go to the AFC now. The Kansas City Chiefs 21, the Cincinnati Bengals, the undefeated Cincinnati Bengals 36. Yeah, Cairo Santos kicked seven field goals in this one for the Chiefs. There was a point, I think, with about two and a half minutes left. They were down, I want to say it was 36-18 to 18 at the time. So it was a three-possession game. They uh, opted for a field goal instead of trying to go for it on fourth down. Thinking more about it, I think it actually makes some sense because you're going to have to get the field goal at some point anyway. So you might as well make the field goal, get the onside kick, and just see if you can extend the game that way. Obviously, it didn't happen. How about Jeremy Hill finally putting up a big fantasy day, except doing it mostly with TDs. Three scores, nine carries for 40 yards. Gio Bernard had 13 carries for 62 yards and touchdown of his own. No catches. Kind of a, a murky situation still for Jeremy Hill, even though his owners have to be happy with this output. And then the Bengals offense, Brandon Tate has a long TD catch, which basically just robs all of the A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, and Tyler Eifert owners out there. I mean, it was a great catch, great play on his part to to get up after he made the diving catch and, and to get in the end zone, but kind of disappointing if you own one of those other Cincinnati receivers. Yeah, and going back to that running back situation, is this officially a two-back system at this point? I think you know, it was Jeremy Hill's job, it seemed, in week one and obviously coming off of last season, and now we've seen Bernard kind of creep into the, the carry battle and end up you know, having more carries than Jeremy Hill over the last few weeks. Uh, Bernard finishing with 13 carries, Hill, like you said, with only nine. And Hill obviously was the beneficiary with the touchdowns, but that's not going to happen every week. You know, the way that, the, way that those, the timing on those carries worked out and the, and the distance, I mean, his long run was only 10 yards. So you, know, you, you kind of like the Cincinnati offense, I guess, going against a, a pretty good Kansas City defense and being able to get into the red zone as much as they were and be able to feed Jeremy Hill. But... You know, if Gio Bernard is 
stealing 50 to 60% of the carries on a weekly basis, it's hard to really trust Jeremy Hill, especially if he's in a flex spot. What do you think about Jeremy Hill versus Devontae Freeman for the rest of the season? I mean, because eventually Teddy Coleman, yeah, I think it's Freeman right now because Coleman still could be a couple weeks away from returning. And even when he does, it looks like Freeman has every opportunity to be the primary ball carrier there in what's also going to be a tandem. But I think Freeman's also going to catch more passes than Jeremy Hill. So Hill's value has fallen. This is a window, though, coming out of this 3-TD game where you may be able to flip them. It's just a matter of what you think you can get in the return. What about Jeremy Hill versus Melvin Gordon? Another guy that really hasn't caught a lot of passes this year. He's been more active than Hill in that regard. He's also averaged 4.1 yards per carry to Hill's 3.3. Like, How do you value Jeremy Hill right now compared to other running backs around the league? I think he's pretty much a wash with Melvin Gordon at this point. And Melvin Gordon isn't really in a timeshare from a carries perspective, but just the lack of reps, like you said, in the receiving game, just six catches on the year. He did have two against Cleveland this past week, but only eight yards total there. I think they're looking a lot more for Danny Woodhead, for Brandon Oliver in those situations. And obviously that limits his value a ton because the San Diego offense is throwing the ball quite a bit. Phillip Rivers leads the league in passing right now. And we're yet to see Melvin Gordon get more than 16 carries in a game. So they're not really pounding him and making him that feature back and you know the feature part of the offense uh, that, that we maybe thought we would see, just 38 yards for him on Sunday. So I guess maybe a slight edge to Jeremy Hill in that debate, but I don't think there's you know a ton of there's – not, there's not a – you know the right choice, I guess, necessarily 100 percent of the time between those two. They seem like a pretty even swap, though, right now. Yeah. So if you're if you're a Jeremy Hill owner and you're worried about Gio Bernard, that's the kind of guy you might be able to get back right. in return. And you know, even though Danny Woodhead's been getting a lot of goal line carries on top of those receptions, I think Gordon is so much more explosive. He's going to find ways to score from distance over the course of this year. And I still think there's a possibility. This is a guy they invested a mid first round pick in. You know, Melvin Gordon could still wrestle away an even larger share of the workload as the season progresses pretty nice performance from most of the Chiefs offense though Jamal Charles had 135 yards from scrimmage 11 carries six catches Travis Kelsey was a bit quiet five for 49 on seven targets and lost a fumble in this one but Jeremy Macklin was PPR gold this week if you used him on DraftKings you came away happy 11 catches for 148 yards on 13 targets I mean Alex Smith almost got up to 400 yards which is never really a good thing I, I would imagine still this is a guy that when he goes over 300 his team probably loses yeah, exactly, and I think that's a product of them playing from behind for the most part in this game. And this, at the end of the third quarter, this was a twenty-nine to fifteen game. So, I mean, if if you were also a Cairo Santos owner this week, um, you definitely made out seven for seven uh, for him. And it was a terrible week around the league Horrible. for kickers, Horrible. especially clutch kicking situations. Um, you know, starting with Thursday night, with Josh Scobie. Um, you know, obviously, we saw it with with the great Jason Myers for the Jaguars. Um, that's just a lot of bad kicking. Mason Crosby even missed a short one against San Francisco, which we'll get to. But 7-for-7 seven seven from Cairo Santos along a 51, uh, 21 points obviously there. So big fantasy production. But like you said, Jeremy Macklin now back-to-back big weeks for him. This Kansas City offense doesn't throw the ball down the field, but there, there are a lot of targets to go around. Uh, and Macklin's obviously sucking up most of those. Yeah, and Macklin, I think, does present a threat the Chiefs just didn't have. He's a big upgrade over Dwayne Bowe as the number one receiver there. How about Packers 17, Niners 3? Is it Blaine Gabbert time? I mean, you got to give Dom Caper some credit for not getting clowned by the jaw rule of NFL quarterbacks this week. And again, that's that's Clay Link's label for Colin Kaepernick, not mine. I think it's flawless. Colin Kaepernick, what happened to him? Like, he was really good not that long ago. And it's not as though they had great receivers, great weapons at that time. I mean, 
Is it the coaching change? How much of it is the offensive line? The offensive line was getting blown up, especially on the right side. Packers were getting tons of pressure on Kaepernick. They were able to seal the edge. He wasn't really getting outside and doing much damage with his legs in this one. Uh, Carlos Hyde, who I, I thought after week one looked like a completely different player, might, having, might be having like a, a Le'Veon Bell-type transformation from year one to year two. He's sputtering right now. Anquan Bolden, clearly frustrated on the sidelines, have to wonder if the Niners think about dealing him to a trade in need to a team in need of some receiving help. I mean, he, I think he could still play. It's just one of those situations where their offense is so inept that he's not going to be productive. I mean, on a day where your defense holds the Green Bay offense to 17 points, even though there was some bend and not break in there, the Mason Crosby missed field goals a factor, how do you not come away closer than a 14-point defeat? Like that, that's, that's actually a good result for your defense holding that offense to 17 points right and that was kind of the bigger story of this was I wouldn't say Green Bay necessarily struggled um I mean it, 17 points obviously isn't what we expect from this team I think their their game plan was a little bit more conservative especially towards the end when it was clear that San Francisco just wasn't moving the ball whatsoever really and, and Green Bay didn't there wasn't much pressure I guess on the Green Bay offense to come through a lot of punts uh from Tim Mass today but yeah I mean this I don't know what's wrong with Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if it's the play calling. I don't know if it's the offensive line. It's probably a combination of a lot of those things. I mean, this is just a completely different team than we saw in week one. Beat a pretty good Vikings team you know, that, that was almost able to knock off Denver on Sunday. Um, but yeah, Kaepernick is broken, I think, at this point. The, the confidence isn't there. He did, he did run well for the most part in this game. Only finished with 57 yards, but 10 carries. I think that's what they want. They want him getting out and, and using those legs. Obviously not able to break off any long ones, but... Um, yeah, this 49ers team is sinking fast. Like, like you said, Anquan Bolden was visibly upset on the sidelines. That's never a good sign. Like, I also wouldn't be surprised if they were able to flip him. Um, yeah, I mean, John Kuhn had more touchdowns than, than the San Francisco offense in, in this one. So not a lot to talk about, I guess, from either side. And it was a pretty – it was just a, a grinded-out win for Green Bay. You know, I think they realized what they needed to do to get it done. They did just that. They didn't do anything more. Um, were you a little disappointed in Ty Montgomery dropping that first that first touch? Well, maybe would have been a touchdown, I guess, in the first play from scrimmage. I know Rodgers was visibly upset on the field when he dropped it, and after the game had some pointed comments, I guess. Um, you know, was kind of asked about that, about you know what the offense's plan was starting out, and he didn't he didn't name any names, but basically implied a couple times, you know, we need to catch the ball. So I don't think he was too thrilled uh, about a rookie dropping what would have been a touchdown pass there, but. This this Packers offense is not looking as sharp as they probably should have against this team, but you know, like I said, the bottom line is they were able to get it done. Well, yeah, I think there there are some questions as to what San Francisco truly is defensively because they lost so many players to retirement and uh, other forms of attrition. If you if you want to go with that route, <laughs> but James Jones, I mean, five catches for ninety eight yards on six targets. Seems like his value continues to rise, and Randall Cobb threw a huge block at one point in this game, and I think that may have caused some problems to the shoulder. It took a big hit after that that really seemed to cause a problem with that injury. You could see him kind of wincing on the sidelines after that. Didn't seem like he was that involved over the course of the second half. So I think there are a lot of questions as far as the health of Cobb. Maybe James Jones is, is dinged up a bit too. Uh, Eddie Lacy got 18 carries, but I felt like we saw James Starks on the field a lot. So Lacy was good at five yards pop, but I, I just I think you're right. I, the injuries here are beginning to pile up, even if they're not taking guys out of the equation just yet. So I'm curious to see what the Packers do to try to get right physically uh, and just get adjusted. So how much has James Jones' value gone up over the first four weeks? I mean, clearly a guy that people were taking a flyer on 
in fab going into the opener. It just seems like target-wise, he's been getting a bit more most weeks. This is a slight step back from where he was in week three. But with Devontae Adams hurt, I mean, is he a top 15 receiver? Like, is James Jones versus Amari Cooper for the next few weeks actually a legitimate debate in redraft leagues? I think it is. Um, I think after week one, that big explosion that James Jones had, you know, everybody thought this was going to be kind of a fluke. Um, but it's, we're four weeks in, and he's been Aaron Rodgers' most consistent target right up there with Randall Cobb. Um, I think the value of playing with Aaron Rodgers maybe doesn't vault him into the top 15, but when you're comparing quarterbacks to a guy like Amari Cooper, I mean, there's not really much of a debate that Amari Cooper's a better talent, probably a, a better receiver right now than James Jones you know, if you swap teams. But the quarterback play of Aaron Rodgers is such uh, on such a higher level than a guy like Derek Carr that I think you have to consider it at the, at the very minimum. I mean, the upside is probably a little bit higher um, you know, with Amari Cooper, but James Jones touchdown potential i think is going to be much higher on a week-to-week basis had another target in the end zone right. yesterday too it was turned out to be an incompletion but it just seems like that's the guy that rogers is the most comfortable with in close right now chargers 30 browns 27 i could not will melvin gordon to have a big day no matter how badly i wanted it it just didn't happen danny woodhead was better on a per carry basis and it seems like Philip Rivers is just underrated again. You mentioned this earlier. He leads the league in passing yards right now. Antonio Gates comes back beginning in week five. Stevie Johnson suffered a hamstring injury in this one. He was pretty quiet. Duke Johnson led the way as the Browns' top pass catcher. Nine catches for 85 yards and a TD. He had eight carries for 31 yards. Meanwhile, Isaiah Crowell had 12 carries for 63 yards, so better as a runner. Also caught three balls for 62 yards, too, so... I wonder if Duke Johnson, at least in full-point PPR leagues, can get to the point now where you look at him as a lower-end RB2, even if Isaiah Crowell doesn't cough up the larger share of the carries. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a, at least a consideration at this point. Now, I mean, the first few weeks of the season, he was obviously off to a bit of a slow start, but I mean, nine receptions out of the backfield is huge, and I think he's going to start working his way into getting a few more carries behind Isaiah Crowell there as well. So definitely a guy to consider, you know, if Injuries, obviously, at this point of year are, are getting to be an issue and, and bye weeks and stuff. So not a guy I would be – I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a lot more lineups, you know, throughout the next couple of weeks than we've seen through the first few weeks of the year. Looking at the Travis Benjamin line, 6 for 79, getting lots of targets. Seems like he's an early season pickup pick that may have value that pays off throughout the year. Nice encore from Gary Barnage, too. Six catches, 75 yards, and a TD. Nice rapport so far with I think Josh that McCown. Name, like, the name Gary Barnage just like scares off ownership it's, or something. It like, sounds like he would work at Fleet Farm. It sounds like he would block as a tight end yes. rather than catch passes, I think, is, is where like that's where I would be with him. But he it seems like he's having a, a significant role. And, I mean, Dwayne Bowe, he's actually on this roster, believe it or not. We mm-hmm. don't really notice him kind of doing the Milford man thing. Uh, the Browns are right, though. I mean, Josh McCown clearly gives them the best chance to win. Obviously, that's a sarcastic comment, but Tr- Tremont Williams was offsides on the missed game-winning field goal attempt, which Another allowed kicker. the Chargers to take it. Yeah, Josh Lambeau missed, and Tremont Williams jumped offsides. didn't even clearly impact the kick, really. It was by a lot, too. Lambeau makes it on the second try. Browns lose. Like The Browns, much like the Bills, just find horrific ways to lose games, much like the Jags, too. The, the three teams are kindred spirits, really. But, man, you talk about a team that just couldn't catch a break. Cleveland, I think, was one of them on Sunday. It would have been a pretty nice road win for them in San Diego if they'd found a way to pull it off. Rams 24, Cardinals 22. Seriously? This is a game that I thought the Cardinals would win pretty easily. I think the Rams are a team that... I look at them at home and think they're pretty dangerous. We saw what they did to Seattle in week one. Of course, Seahawks didn't have Cam Chancellor there. Nick Foles really picked them apart. 
Uh, he's a TD machine, though. It looks like John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite. You know, we're talking three TDs in this one. Tavon Austin becoming the player. Everyone wanted him to be as a rookie. Chris Johnson winning the carry battle over David Johnson, 16-3 to on the other side. David Johnson lost a fumble, but he was targeted 10 times out of the backfield. Four catches for 63 yards and a score. I, if, as long as Andre Ellington's down, David Johnson might be a flex consideration in full-point PPR leagues because he continues to chip away as a pass catcher. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I just kind of worry about that situation. I think it was odd that Andre Ellington was basically a game-time call coming into this one. He doesn't end up playing, but Bruce Arians said, I think it was as early as Thursday or Friday, that no matter what, Chris Johnson's going to start at running back. And I don't know if that was a product of Chris Johnson playing very well in Week 3 or more of a product of Andre Ellington you know, just being at less than 100% had he been active. So I, just, I don't know. I don't trust three running back situations. I mean, two running back situations are tough to judge, and then you're throwing in David Johnson in there with Chris Johnson and Andre Ellington. I think in week five, you know, in the immediate future, you kind of have to guess because assuming Andre Ellington is back in the mix this week, all of a sudden you have those three guys are all splitting snaps and it might take a week or two for one of them to really emerge as that guy. So, I mean, it's certainly encouraging to see 10 targets out of the backfield for David Johnson, like you said, but only three carries. You know, you got to, is he going to see 10 targets again? Probably not. So that value might not be there on a week to week basis. Another big game for Larry Fitzgerald didn't get in the end zone miraculously but 99 yards almost over 100 there seven catches on nine targets so he continues to do what he's done through the first four weeks this I don't know about this Rams team is, is this more of a, this game looking at it is it more of maybe Arizona is not as good as we thought they were or maybe St. Louis is better than the team that only scored six points against Pittsburgh last week I think it's it's the Arizona defense that you have to wonder about because Todd Bowles is their defensive coordinator and he's now the Jets head coach the personnel there maybe isn't as talented as people realized and and with that you have that step back. I mean, Todd Gurley ran well in this game. 19 carries for 146 yards and a long of 52. Could have been more, too. I don't know if you watched the end of this game. He was smartly staying in bounds when he probably yeah. could have gained you know, five, five to ten more yards at least on a few more carries. So, yeah, I mean, obviously a huge step up from what we saw in week one when, or week three, excuse me, when he was still getting integrated. Going to have seven carries for nine yards. Yeah, six for eight, seven for nine, something really limited in his debut. But this is kind of what the Rams were expecting from him when they drafted him back in April. So you talk about a guy that could be just a huge impact player the rest of the year, kind of the centerpiece of an offense that doesn't have great playmakers in the passing game. I don't know what to make of Tavon Austin. I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking that he's going to be consistent week to week. But maybe he can be kind of like a legit like Percy Harvin type where some weeks yeah. he does come through on DraftKings. Maybe he's a good tournament play when the price is low. I just don't know if in a season-long context if he's someone I'd want to rely on on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, we've seen him be more, almost more of an impact player from, a, you know, from the backfield than he has been as a receiver. And this was finally the week that he came through, six catches, 96 yards. And you know, to date, he's been more of a jet sweep guy, a punt return guy. So there are those bonuses there on special teams and those, those special packages. But it's just hard to predict how often they're going to use him there. First three-touchdown game for Nick Foles since September of 2014. So... I mean, he'd only had one passing touchdown in in each of the previous three games for them. I don't know if this is necessarily a turning point because they've been so inconsistent. Um, but like I said, the Napoleon Dynamite comparison is real. Uh, I just had to pull up a couple photos to verify that. But uh, very perceptive. Yeah, he, he looks, I didn't see any tater tots falling out of his pocket as he was, as he was scrambling around on Sunday. But. I mean, he looks more like John Heater does, like in other movies, than he does in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Like, more like he, bench warmers, John. Heater. Yeah, exactly. Like bench warmers, John Heater is Nick Foles, but the tater tots. I mean, it makes me think of the, the Mario Puig, uh, Nate Newton Snickers bar story that we discussed on on Friday. It's 
I mean, Napoleon Dynamite's one of those movies where I think it, I think it was actually a little underrated at times. Oh, absolutely. Like, at a certain point, I think there were some people that hyped it up too much, and that caused other people to think, like, this is a stupid movie, I hate this, but it's actually one of the funnier movies of the last, I don't know, 15 years now, 20 years, I guess, you go back a little further. It, it's like... One of the funniest movies of the past two decades? Yeah. That, that's okay. where Napoleon Dynamite is for me. Okay. It's it's just... It's so quirky and unique. It is. Like, it, it just... It has that... It's not on the same level as, like, Tommy Boy and Old School and Happy no, Gilmore. No. Those are, like... Those are elite comedies from right. that time, but it's in that, like, second or third tier of, of like, very high-quality comedies from the last 20 years i was at the gym last week and saw somebody working out in rex quando erect those american flag pants oh, that rex the quando, rex quando pants and a, and a rex quando t-shirt nice did not have the bandana or didn't, the, didn't or the, the safety the, glasses yeah you gotta have like the the safety glasses on like right that's, it was that's just like an key. average looking college age kid but dressed did, as rex quando <laughs> what was he actually like working out hard or was he just kind of like hanging out I mean, trying he to was, get tips. not like super hard but he, he was working out i wasn't keeping like a super close eye on him uh, i didn't i didn't see him break any wrists and walk away or anything like that um, <laughs> i would have been riveted by this yeah i wouldn't right. have been able to get my workout i would have just been yeah. kind of like sitting there just been like what's this guy gonna do next yeah i'm just waiting for him to drop it forget about it i that's what i would say to everybody as right. as i was trying to like get up to a machine or mm-hmm. oh man but <laughs> I can't believe you saw that. That's that's amazing. I see a lot of things at the. I still work out at the UW facility as like as an alumni. It's way cheaper than getting a gym membership, and I still look like I'm in college, so nobody asks any questions. But you see a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of when you go up to the Nat up on the lakeshore, you know that's that's a little different than being at the downtown facility. And you see a lot of people working out in jeans. Uh, a lot of swimwear is worn. Like if you go to if you go like play basketball, like half the people there are in like pants or that's weird like hawaiian swim shorts yeah i'm not really sure i think it's because of the pool at the net i guess but it's like i wouldn't you would bring separate shorts right and yeah i don't want to play basketball in board shorts right i exactly i would never want to do that they have those, that weird lining that would cause some issues one would think uh as yeah far as ventilation. That, that would that would cause a variety of different unpleasant mm-hmm. issues Broncos 23, Vikings 20. Ronnie Hillman, long TD run in this one. He finishes with 103 yards compared to 43 from C.J. Anderson. Both players had 11 carries. Is this the latest in the Broncos' long line of random running backs to produce yeah, value? I, mean, we, I, mean, the, I don't think Ronnie Hillman and C.J. Anderson are maybe quite as as random as some of the guys that we saw. And it's kind of a running joke you know, amongst NFL people. It was like the mid-2000s Broncos were just plug-and-play with running backs. You're Mike Anderson, Mike Bell, Tatum Bell, Ruben Drones, throw them in there. Alandis Gary. Alandis Gary. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on. I'd, we're probably missing like four to five at least from that time period. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's like super shocked by this because that's how it's gone for Denver for a number of years, and that's how it's gone for a lot of teams. I mean, it's this isn't the NFL of the mid-2000s where – it seemed like every team had their number one back, and that guy was going to get all the carries, and that's just how it was. You know, very few teams have that anymore. If you went through the ADP report and looked at, by round, the worst possible player you could have taken in each round, C.J. Anderson was going late first round in some drafts. I mean, that's probably about as bad as you could have done in terms of healthy-ish right. players, guys who are still on the field. Well, Des, there's a, there's an argument for like Andrew Luck at this point, but you gotta, yeah. you got to think that's going to turn around at some point. But C.J. Anderson, like this situation, especially with Ronnie Hillman playing well on Sunday, doesn't like, there's not a, a ton of light at the end of the tunnel. No, no, it's not a good situation at all. I mean, Ronnie Hillman, uh, kind of a smaller back, can be – Pretty explosive once he gets into top gear, as we saw in that long run. Vikings' run defense isn't bad either. I think it's actually a, at least an average, if not better than average, a unit in that regard. 
I, I wonder what they're going to do going into week five. I, I've got Ronnie Hillman in, only in one league, but I'm pretty excited about it right now because it just yeah. seems like C.J. Anderson's stock has really fallen. Peyton Manning, kind of just QB2 now. It's just where we're at, even though, even though he's got two very good weapons in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. I think the Broncos get the Raiders, though, in week five, so I may have may have a Millie Maker lineup with Peyton Manning in it. And, and Owen Daniels, man, you, you want a tight end for week five. Owen Daniels going up against the Raiders, who can't stop tight ends, certainly becomes appealing. Teddy Bridgewater didn't play badly in this game, 27-41 for 269 on a score, but he was sacked seven times. That Denver pass rush just continues to be a problem for opposing quarterbacks. But I think it's fair to say the Vikings are the team we've seen over these last three games, not the bums who lost to San Francisco in Week 1. They didn't just lose to San Francisco in Week 1. They looked horrible in their opener. Uh, Charles Johnson is just completely off the radar. Mike Wallace and Stephon Diggs did most of the damage in the passing game for the Vikings. But Charles Johnson was a mid-round pick that people really liked, Nick, and he's done pretty much nothing this year. Right, he and Cordero Patterson. I don't think Cordero Patterson had the hype coming in that Charles Johnson did to this year, but, I mean, those are two... You know, higher end receivers, kind of big play guys that I think Minnesota thought were going to be keys to the future. And really, neither of them have done much at all this season. Like you said, Stephon Diggs was the leading receiver for Minnesota, six catches for 87 yards. Mike Wallace, eight for 83 and a touchdown. So a decent day for him if you took a flyer. Uh, but this Denver team just did what they needed to do to win. And was, you look at Peyton Manning's line, 213 yards, a couple picks, a touchdown. I mean, he's considering he has a throw power rating on Madden of about like a 55 right now, he's doing about all he can do. I mean, is is just kind of beating teams with his mind, I guess. You know, like the, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater at this point is probably a more talented quarterback than Peyton Manning from a, you know, from a throwing perspective, but Manning just knows how to control the game. He knows he knows how to beat teams like Minnesota. You know, we're kind of yet to see if this this method will work against good teams and, you know, if, if Denver continues plugging along like they have that 4-0, they're going to run into good teams at some point whether it's in, you know, later in the season or in the first round of the playoffs. And then I think we might see Peyton Manning be exposed a little bit more. But when you're facing teams like you know Oakland next week, Minnesota this week, you can get away with throwing two picks and still winning this game. Adrian Peterson was stifled for most of this game. I and mean, we, we know how good the defense, uh, Denver defensive line is in that front seven overall, but was able to break off a 48-yard touchdown in the second half, and that accounted for well over half of his yardage. Yeah, that was a big swing, I think, for those who Untouched. had Untouched. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the highlight from that. There was, what, like a five-foot-wide hole that he was just yeah. able to burn right through. Somebody no somebody question. went to the wrong gap, I think, because yeah. he just he got through the line easily, and once he was in the open you don't field, see there was that no chance. It was, yeah, it was unbelievable. It was it was missed assignment, I think, that opened that up for him, but he was able to capitalize on it. Saints 26, Cowboys 20. This game didn't get my full attention. I was worried about a few other things, you know, like the dishes and emails and horrible, horrible things, really, but ended pretty excitingly. I mean, C.J. Spiller, 80-yard touchdown reception in overtime to win. Speed looked like it was back on that play, although he had just 29 yards on six touches prior to that does his role in the game plan change going into week five I don't necessarily know that it does um I mean New Orleans basically played well enough to win this game in regulation and you know they were another kicking victim at the end of this one um yeah Zach Hocker Zach Hocker <laughs> just that was probably the this might have been the worst of all of them because I mean they were in prime it was, position it was like, short it, yeah I was about ready to turn off the tv like I was literally getting up to turn it off and actually start doing work last night but no, nope, went to overtime, and luckily this one did end quickly. I think I was, I was on Twitter during the game, and like there was just universal complaining when he missed that that field goal. I think everybody just wanted this one to be over. Um, just kind of sick of watching Brandon Whedon. But, yeah, luckily 80 yards from C.J. Spiller right away in overtime. 
Um, I don't necessarily see him having a bigger role because of that play. I think everybody knew this is what he could do. It's just a matter of getting him the ball at the right time. And I don't even know if that play was necessarily called for him. And, th- you know, there were a couple, I think, football breakdown account on Twitter. I, I could be totally butchering that. You know, had a kind of a close-up replay of that. And you could see Breeze at the line recognizing that Spiller was on a linebacker. They just made quick eye contact and, you know, ran that go route, and there it was. So I think they're going to try to make an effort to get him more integrated. But only two carries in this game um, – I don't know. It's not encouraging. I guess I wouldn't trust him as like you know an option and the flex that I feel great about. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. They refer to him as the Ferrari because yeah, I mean, right? he, <laughs> like, he's yeah. that player that you, you wouldn't get him out of the garage very often. You're worried about getting getting him banged up. Right. And it's it's kind of a, a fair comparison for it him is. at this point. Kyrie Robinson got a TD that Mark Ingram had overturned. Like the Saints were getting close. Ingram gets the TD stripped away. And they go to Robinson to plunge it in on the yeah. next play. How angry are you if you are a Mark Ingram owner and you lose close this week? I mean, that's right. a terrible. Well, Mark terrible... Ingram had a nice, elaborate like celebration after that when he was on his knees doing some prayer thing with the ball, and it looked like he was in watching it live. I didn't, I, I didn't even really think to question it, and all of a sudden they challenged, and yeah, sure enough, he was, he wasn't in. But yeah, Kyrie Robinson vulturing touchdowns away. There was a, a point too where Mark Ingram was celebrating a TD in this one, and the official like reached out for the ball. And Ingram just slapped him a high five because he <laughs> thought that's what he was doing. Good job, Mark. That's that's how officials operate, I guess. Did you see the, in the Carolina game? Um, who was it that that had the interception? We did, we just talked Josh earlier. Norman. Josh Norman. Um, I don't know how to tastefully describe this. Rode the ball basically as if it were a horse. Oh, he did the bull dance with the ball. Right. Yeah, and was flagged for it. Yeah, that yeah that happened in the Sunday night game too. Right. That was that was the uh, Ky- the Kyrie Robinson celebration. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure he did enough. the exact same thing. Right. Why? Like, well, how is that a flag? I mean, you're using the ball as a prop. I the guess the ball is being used as a saddle. Why does the NFL crack down so heavily on this stuff? Like, who doesn't like a good touchdown celebration? As long as it doesn't get out of control, as long as nobody's being harmed, or you know, I, I could see trying to curb, you know, the group celebrations that can take or, a little or like time. lewd conduct, right? Like guys right. like grabbing their crotch. You the don't Von want that. Miller thrust thing was borderline. Yeah, like um, maybe like anything that involves like I don't know. Maybe you want to just take out like thrusting and like. Any, any kind of like sexual innuendo celebrations, I think. Yeah, but like, I'm fine with, with ending those. But, That's fine. But the bull dance to me right. isn't that. And no, not it's at like all. if you survive an NFL game, you should be happy every single play. Like you should be yeah. celebrating as much as you want. Like it, it's stupid to me that the league cares so much about something like that. Right. And it, it sucks that we can't get back to the mid 2000s when players are hiding cell phones under goalposts and hiding sharpies and it was this, it was cool because it was like a week to week competition almost you this know? is it this was, is what came up on the friday this, this is exactly. like we're, yeah i mean it's crazy like that that was the era we came from i mean there was a i remember a celebration i think it was a, was it ocho cinco he had one that he he took the end zone pylon and then putted golf yeah that golf was golf the football that was when he was wearing his Hall of Fame, two thousand question mark question oh, he mark had, jacket he had on some the sideline. Amazing line. ones. It was cool because every week you would see like, oh, what did Ocho Cinco do? Joe Horn would say, I need to top that, and Terrell Owens obviously was a big part of that too. And yeah, I mean, it's it's the no fun league, I guess, for a reason. This is one thing that I disagree with. I was watching the game with a friend, and we basically had this same conversation. And and she said to me, what would be your celebration if you scored a touchdown in the NFL? And basically, like you said, like I would just be so happy I survived the play that I would, I think I would just like sprint around in the end zone and just probably throw the ball and not really know what to do yeah I'd, I'd throw the ball probably as hard as I could at the wall hopefully not throwing it into the stands and then and then I would just I'd probably do the Lambo leap even if I weren't playing for the Packers because I think that's a solid 
yeah. celebration. Probably get shoved out of the stands, but I think you're chuckling here because the TV we have in the studio just played a commercial in which Larry the Cable Guy used a digital slingshot to launch a very large beanbag in a Prilosec OTC commercial. What was he shooting the beanbag at? Into like a cornhole thing, right? From several houses away. That's what Larry the Cable Guy does. Extreme cornhole actually would be a good idea. Like if you had, you know, like those water balloon slingshots that you have that can throw a water balloon from like the backyard to the street at cars that can't see you. Maybe right. Like one of those. Like if you played a game of cornhole over the house, (laughs) you smash so many windows in the process. It'd be so worth it though. It'd be amazing. It'd be a great college house game where you don't care if you smash a few windows. Oh yeah. Especially if you have like a three-story house too. If you could launch the bags over the top, gotta get a bigger. Bigger board, bigger target area, probably just for the we simple do have, fact. We do of have a roof, scoring. I believe, at the Roto office here. That would be ideal for that. And these windows are probably a lot stronger too. They could probably withstand a beanbag right. hitting them at twenty-five miles per hour. Yeah, we'll have to get this set up. And we have the coal center right across the parking lot. So if we could station someone on top of the coal center and then maybe put the the cornhole goals, I guess, on our roof. Oh, from roof to roof, yeah. Right. Well, the people the. Three, the two floors above us are the same company. Like They have the rooftop patio, so I'm sure we could work out a deal. And they've already got a cornhole set, so we just got to get one. We have to talk to one of the Buckies and see how to get up on the roof at the coal center. Is Bucky like in charge of that? Is that mascot? I, I assume Bucky is in charge of everything. Yeah, I mean, I've yet to see anything. I don't know what a chancellor does. I assume that Bucky is in charge of the entire university. And there are several Buckies because some of them ice skate, some of them... Do headstands? Well, even during I've heard that during football games, you know, especially this was not as uh, as pertinent during Saturdays, ten to six uh, points fest against Iowa, which just really was kind of a prelude to what was going to be a terrible sports weekend for me personally. Um, You back in, especially in like the Russell Wilson days, where they were scoring, I think they put eighty on. Yeah, they they put up some big numbers. I heard that they had to have like two or three Buckies ready because after every touchdown, they do the push ups thing over Buckies. Bucky's up on like a pedestal being held up by cheerleaders and like the Bucky like they just had to keep switching them out at each touchdown because the Bucky couldn't handle all the push ups. But yeah, that's not really been an issue so far in the the Paul Christ era of Wisconsin football. No, uh, there's a lack of playmakers right now, especially with Corey Clement down. I think that's a factor. But after that game, of course, we're we're like three well, four probably city blocks away from Camp Randall. And people park here for the games, like they sell our parking spaces for uh, tailgaters and in the lot. And I'm going to get my sandwich after the game. Everyone's pretty depressed. I mean, losing 10-6 to Iowa when you turn it over, I think, inside the five-yard line on a potential game-winning drive, it's a tough blow. I'm walking down the sidewalk, going to get my sandwich, and there's someone in the parking lot blasting Chameleon Air, just blasting it. This is the good an hour and a half after the game ends, and I'm thinking to myself, you need to go home now. Like, your life has hit rock bottom. Like, we just... What song was it, at least? Riding Dirty? It was Riding, yeah. It was, oh, okay. Yeah, it's... It, it, uh, does he have other songs? I thought he just released one song. He had another one at the time, I think, that was fairly big. And let me open up an incognito window here and search... Yeah, don't don't open a regular window. You don't um, want the Google to know that you searched well, he, he that. He had that hip-hop police song. I'm not sure how... I'm not uh, familiar with that, that one. That's actually a somewhat of a banger. It's like 70, 70% banger. Um... But, yeah, I mean, obviously Ride was the big one. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at somehow on his uh, filmography, he appeared on Pit My Ride as a guest host. That's not really very that's, shocking. That's not surprising at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I really can't find any other ones. Maybe it was just Ride and Dirty. And that might, he's probably still going to live off that 
it, for a while. It comes up on like random commercials now. Like I've heard it at least once or twice since the time it was popular on massive ad campaigns, which means he's getting residuals for it. I just I can't believe it. But I, I oh. also didn't think I'd hear it walking down the sidewalk after a Badger lost to Iowa. No, he was also featured on the the great 2007 hit King Kong by Jibs. Hmm. Nope, Shem. not familiar with, oh, with well, King you might, Kong you remember, by Jibs. You may remember Jibs from the Chain Hang Low song. Nope. Set to, uh, <laughs> I think, that Do Your Ears Hang Low like, oh, nursery rhyme song. Okay, so now, now okay. This, this might have been big when you were still in college. Yeah, I think it was right as I was getting oh, out. Oh, man, that's I, tough. I think, you really I think missed out. That would have been on the party CD, though, if mm-hmm. uh, if it had overlapped. But kind of closing the book here on the Saints, what about Brandon Cooks as just an awful top 25 yes. overall pick? I mean, Very bad. Hasn't been able to do much. It's weird that Drew Brees yesterday, I mean, the 80-yard pass to Spiller skewed it. Even with the 279 he had prior to that, there really aren't any receivers or tight ends that you want to own in the Saints offense for the first time no, in a I, I'm very not gonna, long time. I'm not going to be shelling out fab dollars for Willie Sneed. Not, you know, he looked really good in this game. Yeah, you sh- maybe we should be on Team Willie Sneed. Yeah, I don't know. This this is not the, the New Orleans Saints offense that we're used to seeing. You know, it's just it's kind of a shell of itself, and they were able to get it done on Monday night. But you got to feel like if they don't win that coin toss to start the ball in overtime, this could be a very different result because they were they were pretty. Um, disheartened, I think, after that that close missed field goal to end the regulation. If I wasn't already on tilt from the Richie Incognito chop block that took back the Tyrod Taylor-Charles Clay touchdown in the fourth quarter of that Bills-Giants game, the fourth quarter touchdown from Brandon Whedon to Terrence Williams that closed out that 91-yard drive. What a throw that was, by the way. I mean, it was. it's just like that... That's going to hurt me in the Stopa League because I was playing against both. It's a two-quarterback league, and I, I was winning. I would have won prior to the Monday night game if that hadn't happened, because that happened, now I need Jimmy Graham and the Seattle defense to actually show up and not be terrible, which the Seattle defense alone could probably make up that difference, but I don't know. When when stuff like that happens and you see it, you have a bad feeling about right. how Monday night might go. How weird was the Joseph Randall TD holding up also? Like that one, he fumbled that ball like as he was breaking the plane. Like he did break the plane first You're before he lost he control. Went, over? went over the pile. Yeah, that was like unbelievably unnecessarily reckless right yeah it was terrible like terrible ball protection overall even though like they ended up getting like the a, td it was like a finger roll layup it was he was, he was gripping he, the ball it was a really strange decision and, and after review it actually held up as a td on the field they called it a fumble and a recovery for the saints that was and, a bang bang play really i was kind of surprised they did overturn it just because of the call on the field yeah so you, you look at it and you think like okay maintaining possession while breaking the plane is not as important as completing a catch while breaking the plane. How, how are those not the same? Like, that just exactly, seems yeah. insane to me. Like, when, when I watched the Des Bryant catch against the Packers in the playoffs last year, even as a Packer fan, I'm like, he caught that ball. That's like, he, he just caught that ball. That, that, is, that is a catch. And when I watched the Joseph Randall fumble last night at the goal line, that's a fumble. That's not a touchdown. Like, you should have to maintain possession of the ball through the process right. of breaking the plane. I don't want to add through the process to any, any more NFL rules. But just conceptually speaking, it's so much easier for a running back or someone running the ball to cough up a fumble as they score and get away with it than it is for a receiver to catch a ball, fall to the ground, and have the ball shift a little bit when they hit the ground. It seems stupid to me that it works like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you can think back to that Calvin Johnson would-be game-winning catch four or five years ago already where two feet down and he's controlling the ball for like multiple seconds and then 
that one he kind of like planted the ball on the ground, right? He like caught himself with like he was palming the ball and kind of used it to like brace but himself. It, it, like, but he clearly had it though. Yeah. It was like in his hand. It wasn't like Which, when he, when he hit, he like bounced right. and he regrabbed he it. Got and, his like, feet he had in it and just kind of fell forward and had, had already tapped the feet. You know, he, clearly the ball had crossed the plane. Which is if you're looking at it in comparison to this Joseph Randall touchdown, like. Apparently, when you're running the ball and jumping over the plane, you, as soon as the ball crosses, doesn't matter what happens after, like you're in. It, that, that's kind of a double standard. Yeah, I don't really understand why that's the case, but uh, the running game for for Dallas really wasn't that good in this one overall. I mean, it was 11 to 10. The carries favored Joseph Randall and Lance Dunbar appears to have suffered a torn ACL and MCL, given how much he was involved as a pass catcher over the first few weeks or the last few weeks of the season, especially with Brandon Whedon at quarterback. Do you see any reason to go after? either one of McFadden or Randall right now in a trade. Could one of those guys see a significant spike in value if they can take on all of Dunbar's workload as a pass catcher? I This is another situation kind of like Arizona where it's like you, one of them's going to do it, you know, just kind of by default, but you're going to have to kind of guess, I guess, you know, which one of them it's going to be. So if you're going to try to make a trade, I think you want to you want to buy a little bit low and you know not give up someone that, that you're – you don't go all in, I guess. Like go, go, go after the cheaper uh, – the cheaper player is probably going to be McFadden. Yeah. So like throw throw a dart at McFadden. If he's available in your league, just pick right. him and up even and see if he what doesn't happens. End up, and even if it's you know, Randall who ends up being the you know, the better back of the two, McFadden's like with with it not being a three back situation and sinking down to a two back situation, like the values are both gonna rise. I I just don't think you can stake too much of your you know, of your fab bids or of your success on these guys right now because you Obviously, the running back position differs from the quarterback position, but when you have Brandon Whedon commanding an offense, there's just you're limited no matter what from from both a receiver's perspective, from a running back's perspective. The entire offense just doesn't click as well as it should. Yeah, no, I mean I think that's that's a fair point too, and, and checkdowns are going to be a big part of it. So yes. both players are up in value, right. but it is difficult to distinguish which one, especially with should have been a lost fumble for Joseph right. Randall. I think if that were ruled a fumble, things could be even more different right now. Monday night, Detroit at Seattle. What do you think? Seattle by 20 in this one? Seattle only put up 26 on Chicago. Um, I don't know if they get to 20, but Seattle by double digits. Seattle by double digits, so like 24 to 10, 24, 13. I think I'll go 31, 13. 31, 13. Okay, that's that's not bad. So Detroit uh, over under 13 and a half. You're taking the slight under on that. Slight under. And then Thomas Rawls um, with no Marshawn Lynch over under 84 and a half yards. Slightly under. I think he gets into like the mid seventies. Um, does he score though? He does score. All right. Well, that's I mean, pretty if they're good. putting up thirty-one points, he's got to have yeah, one of them. Yeah, Russell yeah. Wilson's not throwing four touchdowns. Um, yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, over the weekend who thought his name was Rawls Thomas. No, nope. like, yeah, I really like that Rawls Thomas guy. I'm like, who? Like, how does that? How happen? have I not heard of this guy? I'm like, it's like, yeah, he played really well in place of Lynch. I think I'm going to grab him. Like, yeah, you go out and grab Rawls Thomas. Yeah, I. That um, speaks to the, the era that we're in, I guess, where any name can be a first name. That's very true. I mean, like you don't our, think twice about it. Our XM producer Trevor Ray. I mean, he could he could be Ray Trevor. That right. wouldn't be that surprising. It sure. wouldn't be any less weird. One last Monday night related question for you: Over under five and a half hams for you tonight during the game. I mean, you're going to be at home. You're not this driving might be anywhere. A push. So I don't know if I could finish one. Uh, I think I might go right on at five and a half. Uh, with, <laughs> a, with an attempt to make it through a six and then, and then maybe fall asleep. Passing out um, after five and a half hams. You wake yeah. up the next morning, you spill the hams on yourself, and mm-hmm. there's a trail of like Cheetos or yeah. wh- whatever salty snack you prefer. Just... Anything goes well with hams, really. But I actually got hassled more than normal. Anytime I buy hams, I get hassled. But I, I went back home, as I mentioned, this weekend. And Friday night, I went to the Rocky Top in Wrightstown, Wisconsin, which is home of the 
all day, every day, dollar twenty-five hams. Okay, and I, I, I can see how you ended up there. Signs up promoting this deal, rightfully so. And then I'm like, you know, of course, I'm going to take advantage of this. And like, the bartender just would not leave me alone all night. Every time, like, yeah, another hams, please. Like, rolling her eyes and well, she was mad you weren't ordering like a four-dollar drink because if you're getting like a four-dollar beer, you're throwing a buck in. If you get a dollar yeah. twenty-five beer, she's getting seventy-five cents. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of tipped at the end anyway. I, I, but you can kind of compensate. You know, I'm paying less for the beer, so yeah, I can just tip be, more. Just be really nice to me, and I'll, right. I'll leave you more. Like, it's Yeah, it's I'm fine. like, don't have this promotion if you're going to openly, like, discourage customers from doing it. They just have a huge chest freezer. Like, all their other beers are in, like, a, a nice fridge, like most bars, and this massive chest freezer just full of hams. It's like <laughs> it's, it's like just, where you, it's like something that's like a live well where you'd keep fish almost. They just open it up, amazing. grab one out. Yeah, it's they decided, it's a real deal. They decided at some point, like, we're going to go to Costco. Yeah. We're going to buy a chest freezer to put these hams in it. We're going to sell these hams yeah. for $1.25. This is the most, like, towny up north bar you could possibly have. Like, so many animal mounts. And, like, last time I was there, they were giving away a snowmobile. Like, in the past, they've given away ice augers. Currently, they were giving away a crossbow. Not a crossbow? Yeah, a crossbow. Did you hang- enter? It's just hanging on the ceiling. Like, win me. What did you have to do to win you it? You had to buy... Well, they have two different promotions going on. You can either buy like a five dollar like ticket, basically, you know, it's like a fifty-fifty raffle type of thing. Okay. Or they do this thing where you can check in, and you have to you have to keep a streak going of going to the bar every single day and signing daily, in. Daily daily sign-ins. Yeah. So like you go to the bar, get one drink, and that counts as you're, you're signed in for the day. And if they pick your name out of the hat to win whatever item it is, whether it's a crossbow or like I think they give away guns and basically guns. Any, oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. All kinds of stuff. Anything you could use to kill an animal, basically. And, yeah, if, if you haven't come in every day, then you're not eligible. So, like, last time, I, I think I was – it's been a while since I was home, but over the summer, like, one of my friends had to drive his sister up to the bar while we were home for the weekend each, each day so she could go just and to go sign to check in, in quick. To, just so she could keep her name in the hat for the crossbow raffle. Oh, it's awesome that she's in it. I hope she wins. Like, I that, hope so, too. That'd be terrific. Well, yeah. I'm surprised that going north in this state – you still catch a lot of flack for for drinking hams. Like I, yeah, I would just I think mean, the Green further Bay is maybe not quite north enough. I, I guess, but I, I would just think once you get north of like Wapan, it would be okay. It would just be like not not even like right. frowned upon, but encouraged to like the wedding. Drink local the wedding I was at beers. was the typical you know, open bar for the first hour or two, and then after dinner, you know, cash bar and then free beer, bush light, all bush light. Yeah, it was incredible. Both the both the bride and the groom in their little speeches mentioned their love for bush light. That's amazing. Like, Isn't it crazy? That's, yeah. That's, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that, that things like Bush Light can make people happy because it's very simple, right? Like, it's, yeah. if everybody in the world had to drink fancy craft beer, fancy craft beer would probably cost even more than it does exactly. because every, the demand, they'd be gone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that people like things like Bush Light because it makes, you know, the readily available quality beers, people like me, easier to get. Oh. Okay. Beer snobs like you, I think is what you mean to Beer say. Beer snobs like me. <laughs> People who make fun of those who drink hams. I've never I've never made fun of anyone for drinking hams. Never. You're literally setting an over under on how many hams I'm gonna drink tonight. I was just asking because I'm <laughs> I'm curious. Like I mean you I don't, I don't drink on Mondays. I don't know. Pro- it's I'm taking the under. You really... don't drink when you watch the Lions? When's I the last have, time you watched the Lions uh, game? I, I watched that game against San Diego. Was that week one or week? Week two? one, yeah, it was yeah, week one. That was the last time I think I I've been a Calvin Johnson owner for the last three years in a keeper league, and I just can't bring myself to watch it. It's so frustrating. The over-under has moved to seven and a half hams as a result of you being a <laughs> Calvin Johnson owner. You're going to be distraught watching yeah, we'll that see. game. If I don't come into the office tomorrow morning, you'll know why. Yeah, you'll be blacked out with the hams yep. cans surrounding you. <laughs> 
All right, anything else you want to touch on for this week? No, I think we can close the book. All right, thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, as always, it is brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit on DraftKings, and they'll give you a free contest entry today. Of course, be sure to check out Rotowire.com. Um, you know, if, if you're not ready to commit monetarily to a subscription site, we have 10 free days of access. If you just go to rotowire.com slash pod, you can sign up real quickly there. No payment info is required. Uh, just an email address and create a username and password, and, and then you're good. You can read all of our end-of-season baseball content, all of our NFL content, recapping week four, previewing week five, um, a ton of daily content. Obviously, our NBA content is launching as well. I think we're going to have our rankings up on the site, hopefully later today. Yeah, coming um, up soon. Yeah, it, it is coming up very soon. The preseason started this weekend already, which is weird to see, but – very excited for that. I don't know if you are quite as much as I am for the NBA season, but every year, wait. every year I want to be excited for it, and I think this is going to be the year. This actually might be the year. It might. It's going to be a great year. We got some structural changes around the company. That's factor. Uh, you host the RotoWire Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Just search RotoWire in your preferred app store uh, or, or podcast store, I guess you'd say. In that case, you'll you'll find all the different pods we offer. But Nick does a great job with the Hoops Podcast. We got two episodes up already. Uh, you hosted with James Anderson, looking at the over unders, and I don't want to, you know, don't want to pimp our own podcast, but I think they're very interesting. A lot of, not quite as much fantasy stuff, I guess. In these first two, it was, you know, we we talked about the Vegas wins over unders, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot of a lot of stimulating conversation. James obviously does a really good job. There's a lot of research that went into those pods, so yeah. I and mean, if you're an NBA fan, definitely be sure to check those out. Yep, should be good stuff there. Just search Rotowire in your preferred app store. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.